fundamentally, if you actually think about it, decision making is one of the most important, if not the most important thing that we do from a psychological basis. We make decisions every day. Hi, welcome to the Halftime Snacks. My name is Ronena Inbinder. This show features the stories of talented people working in sports. Are you ready? Let's go. Today's episode of the Halftime Snacks features an absolute legend of a human being. The man we'll be hosting today is a sports psychology expert with over 10 years of experience working in various sports such as football, archery, water polo, and rugby from amateurs to international professionals. His research is focused on decision making. He literally wants to understand why athletes do what they do in the field. Currently, He's also investigating the mechanisms of decision-making using eye-tracker technology and reflective techniques. This guy will give us a complete lecture on sports psychology, and I can't wait to learn from him. So without further ado, allow me to introduce Lee Waters. Welcome to the show, buddy. Thank you very much. I've never been called a legend before, and uh, yeah, that's uh, a very, very, very good introduction. Thank you very much. Lee, you're an absolute legend. I went over your profile. I went over your website, your research, everything that you do. It all sounds so amazing. But at the same time, I couldn't understand anything. So I'm, I'm grateful that you're here so that you can, <laughs> you can explain to us everything that you do. And I want to start off by talking a little bit about your background and your story and how you got to where you are. So how about you first tell us a little bit about that? How did you first got interested in the psychology side of sports? How did you end up where you are today? Tell us a little bit about you. I guess um, it started back in 92, really. Um, I watched Linford Christie in the 100-meter final uh, of, the, of the Barcelona Olympics. And I looked at how he approached the race. I looked at how he stayed so calm. There was a false start in the race. He still stayed so calm. He was just looking down the track, so focused. And he didn't have the best of starts in that race either. He, he, was, he was behind. He didn't, he, he didn't do too well to start with. But he just stayed focused, kept, it, kept doing what he was doing, and he ended up coming through and, and winning the gold medal. Um, I remember talking to it to my to my late father about it, and I, I wanted to I wanted to know what he thought of it and He was saying he actually labeled it something called tunnel vision. And it's something I've used, a phrase that I've used at certain points throughout my career. And it just got me interested into what that actually is. What is tunnel vision? And um, because I wondered how you trained that. And it also got me interested in athletics because that was ended, that ended up being a sport that was quite, uh, that I participated in quite a lot, which I'm sure we'll go into a little bit later. Um, but it made me pay attention to performance. It made me pay attention to, Uh, not only performance in a sporting context, but also in people's lives. And it made me realize that people don't actually perform to the best that they can do in every scenario. Why are they not performing in, in every day, everyday life? So it got me thinking, why, why do people do that? Why do people not perform as well as what they can do at certain points? But also, why do people thrive in certain situations? Um, so it got me really thinking about that. Um, and then also, especially when I started competing, 
I started feeling all kinds of things when it was in big competitions, uh, butterflies in my stomach, sweaty palms, heart racing. And I'd start doing things that, that weren't characteristic for me. Um, so I went, it started to really make me think about those kind of things. So, um, yeah, I, I wanted to, it made me think why I asked that question a lot. Why, why do people thrive? in presentations why do people not thrive in presentations why do people shrink why do people um not perform in certain situations so yeah it was it got me thinking about the, the question why it reminds me a lot of the presentation given by simon sinek i don't know if you heard of him or if you've seen him mm. but he talks a lot about the why and how the best companies and the best communicators always start with their why So I can't go without asking you, what is your why? What is your life's purpose? And how are you currently working towards your life purpose? To be honest, I mean, you, you labeled me a legend, which was very, very, which was very, very kind. So I, I don't know how I'm going to be able to match that. But I've been described as a scientist. I've been described as an academic. Um, I've been implied, it, it described as an applied researcher in the past. And to be fair, to be fair it's all quite humbling because... To be perfectly honest, when I first started um, out within sport, I couldn't stand education. I couldn't stand learning. I couldn't stand research. I mean, what was that? I mean, I just wanted to go out and kick a football or run around a track because I thought I was going to be the next professional footballer or I thought I was going to be a Great Britain athlete. I didn't need education as far as I was concerned at that point. Uh, but unfortunately, what I mean, I got, I got injured, um, my, my hamstring blew out, which wasn't great. Um, for a sprinter, that wasn't a good thing. But it wasn't only that. I'm not, I'm not naive to say that um, I would have made it just because, uh, and I'm not naive enough to say that, because I, I wasn't that, I could hold my own, but I wasn't that good. So yeah, it, it made, me, made me change my path. It made me change my path because I was, after sport was done, I was stood there in Morrison's pie shop thinking what am I going to do with my life because with all due respect to me I didn't want to work in Morrison's anymore I didn't want to, to work there so that was where I started to get involved with education um, I went on and did my degree in, in sports science and really started to enjoy uh, the psychology so I got to ask I started asking that question why again um, got then into into teaching um, and then that started to spur me on to, to go further into, into higher education, into, to, to do my master's, to do now my PhD, and of course my research, which you spoke, which you spoke about. Um, and then, of course, within the applied work that I'm doing, I, I'm working with footballers now, I'm working, I'm working with some archers, I'm working, I have worked with water polo players in the past. What is my purpose? You asked that, what is my purpose? I'm trying to help people thrive. Well, it's uh, very inspiring, Lee. Thank you so much for sharing. And I want to ask you now, moving over a little bit to the whole stages and decision-making. To be honest, I have zero knowledge about it. I think we made decisions based on instinct, but that's, that's uh, probably the most inaccurate way or inaccurate answer. So I would like you to explain me and the, the listeners, explain us like if we were five years old, through which mental stages or what's the process in which uh, athletes and of course people go and make decisions? How does it work? Fundamentally, if you actually think about it, 
decision making is one of the most important, if not the most important thing that we do from a psychological basis. We make decisions every day. We make countless decisions every day, whether that be when we wake up, what are we going to have for breakfast um, through to should we cross the road when there's cars come in through to um, when should when should we decide to pass the ball? So there's been a variety of different ways in trying to ask, answer this question from economics to marketing. It's been a really, really important question. Now, from from a sport perspective, there's we typically look at it in uh, from an information processing perspective or from an ecological perspective. Now, information processing is a concept that theorists believe that we are like a computer in, and we have an input, we have a stimulus, the environment around us. We interpret that, that, those pieces of information. We then go through a decision as how we're gonna then react to that those those pieces of information and then we act upon it so then we have uh, the output the thing that we see okay so if you're going to put it in a simple terms you have input decision making output in very very simple very simple terms um what ecological perspective kind of suggests is actually that we get the information from the outside. So it assumes that individuals are already adapted to the environment that we're in. Um, and it is information about the frequency of events. Um, so in an applied setting, um, there should probably be more focus on how we are filtering this information through. That should be the emphasis, how we are using this information to then make our decision what is relevant pieces of information and what is irrelevant pieces of information that's very interesting i wonder if let's say applied in a situation in sports for example lebron james is about to shoot a three lebron is already in the game in the environment where the rules yeah. apply where the there's points there's time there's this setting there's environment then lebron in his mind, takes all these inputs, all these inputs, and then figures out through a system or a filter if taking that three is the best shot to make. Is that how we can interpret it in a very simple sports scenario? Yeah, you've, you've, you've summed up ecological perspective quite nicely there in the sense that LeBron James is obviously a, a, fantastic, a fantastic basketballer, absolutely fantastic. So he's going to have the skill level that is much higher than say you and me. Um, so in the situation that he's in, in that given situation, in that uh, scenario, he would be able to shoot that three pointer. We probably wouldn't. Mm. So it's a case of then you're comparing the situation to your ability level. So are you able to actually do that? Yes or no. Um, so then that would then to start to influence the decision that you potentially make. So that's where you kind of um, your knowledge starts to starts to play a part. That's where your memory starts to play a part in terms of um, situations that you've been in been in in the past. I wonder to what degree and in what ways does the process change when there's pressure involved? Let's say LeBron has three seconds to make that shot. How does it change? Yeah, it's a very it's a very interesting question once again because pressure is is something that 
from a sporting perspective, we, we deal with um, quite frequently. Um, and it's something that athletes talk about quite a lot. Why didn't you do this in this certain situation? Oh, it's because I felt pressured. Now, the interesting thing about pressure is, in, put simply, it's something that athletes make up um, because you, it's not something you can specifically say, oh, pressure is, pressure is this, um, because you can give loads of examples of what pressure is, mm. but not specifically what pressure is, if that, make, if that makes any sort of sense whatsoever. Um, so the situation... Oh, sorry, a situation is only um, considered to be a pressure situation if you think it is, if you attribute it to be a pressure situation. So LeBron James, actually, he may, he may enjoy those situations. So he may not think that, think that's pressure. He may think that's just part of the game. If someone's trying to face him, um, if, if he's trying to um, face him up or trying to take him down the line, he may love that. He may not see that as a pressure situation whatsoever. Um, go back into the day about with with Michael Jordan. He he always used to, to thrive in those pressure situations, didn't he? So what what does happen though is those people that do feel pressured is that potentially we start to become quite anxious. We start to become quite stressed. So then all of a sudden, because of that. Our, our skills start to start to maybe um, start to maybe fail us. So we start to um, we don't, we're not as fluent as movement. We're not as influent as uh, being able to, to to pass the ball to able to hold on to the ball in our in our basketball example that we seem to be using. Um, so that so that may happen. So a pressure situation could cause someone to become anxious, to become stressed, um, and that's something. From a sports psychologist perspective, we try and address. I always uh, interpret it or think about this example, and probably you you will be able to tell me if I'm right. But when two people play chess, for example, and it's your time to move, your brain is basically your brain is is thinking of a thousand moves per second that you can make. Now, if you reduce the number of seconds that you have available to think then you're not going to be able to think about the X amount or Y amount that you feel comfortable to find the best solution. So when, when, you, when you add pressure, that pressure can come both in time or in the public, you know, the noise. Uh, I'm sure there's other sources of, of pressure that I'm not thinking about right now, but time is a very simple one. When we, when we have less time, we, our brain iterates over less number of, of solutions that it can find. And so that's that's why it feels pressure because it it's limited. And I, I mean, I find that super fascinating. And that's why that's why I say that playing chess, for example, with a one minute like blitz games, one minute chess games is, is the best way to improve because you pressure your brain to think faster. So that's uh, a way to train your decision-making process. Am I right, uh, Lee? No, absolutely. I mean, the interesting thing is about, about decision making is that the decision making is done uh, at the front of the brain, which is called the prefrontal lobe. Uh, when someone becomes anxious or stressed, actually that part of the brain physically shrinks. So it's not a very big part of the brain to begin with. So if it starts to shrink, it just loses its ability. It would be like um, 
I don't know, you trying to do uh, bicep curling 20, 20 kg and then all of a sudden having half your bicep taken away from you. It, it doesn't have the, as much capacity, capacity. But that only lasts for about 20 seconds. So the idea from a sports psychologist perspective or a, a performance psychologist um, is, to, is to try and help with that pressure situation, that stress situation. Recognize that you are feeling that and then come up with a coping strategy to be able to uh, to be able to alleviate it as quickly as possible. I love that, man. We're gonna talk a little bit about that uh, later, but I want to know since you're uh, the the thing that you're focusing on is mostly on visual. I want to know what is the role of the athlete's senses, meaning what they smell, what they uh, what they hear, what of course they see, particularly for for your case in the decision making process, how they. How do you absorb these inputs and, and take them into consideration? Is there any also sort of ratio that we should know that people take more into account what they see from what they smell or are they the same? How, do, how could you explain that? The, the important thing about, to know about decision-making at its absolute simplest is that we need information to be able to make decisions. Um, more importantly, we need the right information. So in a sporting context, typically that information comes from our eyes. And now, depending on the research, I mean, there's, there's different research that uh, states different figures. Some of the higher research is about 80 to 90% of that information comes through our eyes. So it's a large percentage of, um, of information that comes through our eyes. So that's why it's so important. And now I will ask listeners right now is I've just said 80 to 90% of the information that you gain to make a decision comes through your eyes. So how much training is dedicated to eye training? Um, and there's not many people when I've asked that have actually said, oh, we dedicate quite a lot to it. Um, so the majority of training is, is geared towards um, the, the physical attributes and some of the other, some, some of the um, tactical issues and things like that, which is fine. It's, a, it's, an emerging, it's an emerging field. It's an emerging field that's, that's coming through. But it's a, it's a really, really big thing. So the eyes are, are really, really important in picking up this information. Um, not only that, it's how people's eyes actually work. So in, in a basketball situation, in a rugby situation, in a football or a soccer situation, um, We need to, or we should really be as what's known as binocular as possible. And what I mean by that is that both of our eyes should be working pretty much in equal, in equal ratios. One shouldn't be dominating really. Um, and that's important because that will make sure that you are able to judge distances to be able to be more accurate as you start to become fatigued. Now, if you imagine um, the tracking on a car, um, your, if, if tracking on a car is slightly off, that is exactly the same as your eyes. Because if you're more dominant on your left eye or you're more dominant on your right eye, you will actually start to, as you start to become more fatigued, and you are in um, an, a sport that is quite based on accuracy. So it could be darts, it could be archery, something like that. 
you may actually start to find that you drag more to that side. So if you're right eye dominant, you may start to drag to the right hand side as opposed to it being straight down the middle. And that typically happens because you are becoming fatigued. The brain can't work it. Um, we can't correct that. It can't correct that issue at that time. Um, and then you need to, and then there's uh, issues later on in games in, in, in certain scenarios. So it's really, really important. So not only are you picking up information, but as you become fatigued, if your eyesight is not at its optimum, there could be issues with accuracy later on, which ultimately hinders performance. I feel like trainers and coaches of teams underrate the power of actually training the vision. And they just take it as a fact or they take it as a given that uh, athletes are just training their vision because they're training in the field and they're not actually, you know, as you mentioned, they do not understand the value of something as important as the eyes. And I feel like that's, that's an important point of consideration, even for coaches that are listening and future potential trainers. That's something worth focusing on. And I suggest you guys read all about Lee. Uh, but now I want to ask you, Lee, about uh, three or four or five actionable and practical pieces of advice that you could provide the listeners and the athletes that are listening to the episode. How can they improve their decision making either on the field or off the field? Is there something practical that you think we can do? There's a few things that, that can be done. And There's a few things that are that are put in place in, in certain sports that are supposedly meant to be improving decision making, but they're quite closed activities. They're quite they're not as dynamic as potentially as what they what they could be. So so the important thing is to note that um, situations, drills, activities that, that are put in place for our athletes need to be progressive. As, they, as, as it goes. So yes, work out the certain skill within the, within, the, um, within the sport. So say passing within football um, and do that in a closed environment, simple, simple person in front of you, just passing it between you, but then quickly move that on to make sure that you are then into a more dynamic environment, which is similar to the environment that they are actually going to be going to be performing in because too often there are there are situations there are scenarios that are happening and large amounts of time are dedicated in training to scenarios that are just not representative of the scenarios that they're faced with in the in the given sports and that's a and that's a shame that that's a shame, that's a shame to see so something that i quite often see I'm going to speak, speak about football or soccer from, from your part of the world, um, is that there a lot of coaches actually say, okay, you need to, you need to look, you need to scan, you need to, you need to, do, um, to, to search your area. And they're absolutely right. They do. They do need to search their area. They do need to scan um, because that's a really, really important skill for, for players to learn. By doing that, they're picking up information. But unfortunately, the, the drill or the activity that they may get them to do is something where they pass the ball between, one, between, uh, between two people and then they're looking behind them 
and there's actually nothing behind them that is important to them to find out about what they then do with it the next so what i mean is is that there should be scenarios that they're putting in where they're having to filter they're having to scan they're having to look at their situation where they then have to interact with that information to then do something about it so if someone is running towards them do they then have to step left or step right do they have to pass quickly do they have to turn backwards those kind of those kind of things so put in situations where scanning is really really important because they're picking up information and they have to action it um it all it also depends on the the sport that they that you're in but in in sports like tennis for example um there's there's some some equipment called um synoptic strobe goggles um and they effectively uh, they're glasses that you wear on your eyes and they're like a strobe so they filter information so they they've kind of vibrate in front of your in front of your eyes so you're you're kind of getting information intermittently into your eyes now that really helps because you're then trying to value so say you've got a ball coming towards you you are then only intermittently getting where that ball is coming so you're having to use that ball's information as to where it's going to bounce and then where you're going to intercept that with your racket so that's something that someone could someone could take on board as well use, using these stroke goggles if you've got a little bit of money because they're not they are a little bit pricey um, yeah. but but they but they are they can be used i thought i thought you were going to suggest uh shooting a basketball with one eye closed like this <laughs> i guess that doesn't really work <laughs> well if you shoot if you shoot with one eye, one eye closed um it's like uh so if you are driving or if you Uh, if you try to be fair, even if you try to open a, something, a simple task is opening a door. If you've got one eye closed, you have very limited depth perception, which means you can't really judge distances. Um, so it actually doesn't, that wouldn't really do all that good to you. But what, interestingly though, what, um, what Dennis Rodman used to do is he used to throw the basketball against, uh, against the, the, the rim And then he used to try and work out where the ball was going to bounce. So he would just randomly throw the ball, the ball against the rim. Watch the, he would watch the basketball and then he would predict where it was going to bounce. And he would try and get there as much as possible. Why did he have so many rebounds in his career? He was, yeah, he was the legend in that, wasn't he? Yeah, I remember that from uh, the Last Dance documentary, which was amazing. Leah, I'm sure you watched it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I wonder how the how the evolution of the human body changed or has changed, or maybe it's not even it's not it's not something we can even prove of how it changed the game and the comp competitiveness of the game. But I wonder if you have any insight on how the evolution of the body will change or how we will evolve as, as human beings due to either practices or things that work for the body, things that don't work for the body that might change the way we play the games or the way people react or do things. Of course, we wouldn't be really talking about our generation, probably in a couple of thousand of years or something. Is there some insight that you can relate to both evolution and how the game is the competitiveness of the game well for for starters um 
there's th- things have increased depending on the sport that you once again depending on the sport that you look at um, things have improved whether that be from a technological basis so we use tennis again you only have to look at the uh, wooden tennis rackets that they used to use in, compar- in comparison to what they use now um, the the golf clubs that they used to use in comparison in comparison to now um, I think what what fundamentally has happened in a lot of sports is that they've incorporated a lot of it, a lot of disciplines within it. So if you look back at if you look at back at Tiger Tiger Woods, for example, when when he was dominating, he was typically the the only one that was taking strength and conditioning as serious as as it should be. So he he gained a significant advantage over over his um, over his fellow competitors. Because he was hitting the gym. I mean, I know that's a very, very simplistic way of putting it, but, but put simply, that's, that's why he dominated for so long. He, he looked at that and he, he looked at that so-called marginal gain. If you look at GB cycling, they've looked at certain things into sleep patterns. So how important sleep is. And there's been a lot of information now that is, gener- that is more orientated around recovery of of athletes and our sports our sports people um as opposed to preparing them for the actual performance so can we make our athletes recover as quickly as possible um so they can train then again and then gain improvements through the amount of training that they're doing now i was at a i was at a conference before lockdown and and things like that and what what they were talking about is is, is tracking technology in terms of um, things like GPS, uh, things like uh, heart rate monitoring, recovery ref- recovery records, and things like that. And what they actually were saying was that their inspiration is an iPhone. And what I mean by that is that an iPhone is a camera, it's a computer, it's a um, it, it's a mobile phone, it's it's all kinds of things. So what they're trying to do is potentially trying to get one, uh, sorry, a piece of technology that can be implanted into us and they're able to then track all of our human functions, all of our human bodily functions. Are we low on sugar? So then we need to, our nutritionist starts to come in. Are we stressed? So then our psychologist needs to come in. Um, We're not recovering enough. So then our strength and conditioning coach needs to come in. All of the, all of these kind of all of these kind of things. Um, I mean, there's obvious ethical issues with that because when does it get switched off? Uh, when does when does the athlete stop becoming an athlete? When do they just become a normal? Or when do they just become a a person that's on the street? And because if they're going out on a date, for example, do, do do you really want do you really want uh, your your coaches knowing what you're doing that night? I mean, that's that's not that's not great. Um, I guess I'm coming at it from a technology perspective as opposed to uh, the, the evolution of the human body and how I think it's more our adaptation to that. So the human body is the greatest machine that we will ever own. It is. I fundamentally believe that. And if we do enough things to it, if we give it enough time to adapt, it will adapt to any situation that we, get, that we, that we throw upon it. Um, and it's just about learning the the best way in order to help it in the given scenario. And obviously, I'm going to look at it from a from a vision perspective. 
how are we going to improve our athletes' eyesight and vision so they can pick up the most amount of information that's going to help them make the next best decision? Absolutely, absolutely, Lee. I wonder if, if after science, let's say, let's say in, in a few years or in a few thousand years, science figures out all of this and all of like the best practices and the most efficient ways of um, processing information, I wonder where will talent land? And if, if talent is, is going to be a differentiator in the game or if basically we're all going to be as talented because we all know how to be, as, uh, how to be the best or how to be the, the fastest or how to have the fastest vision or the best decision-making process because we're all going to be there So what's gonna, where, where are we going to see the difference? I wonder, I feel like that's a little bit... Uh... Yeah, it's a very, it's a very, very good question um, because we, we have a de I have a debate with, with my students. Uh, and I'm not saying I necessarily have an answer, but I have a debate with our students to say, um, does talent actually exist? Is, is talent actually a thing? Um, and I guess, I guess we, we talk about more about abilities because you are working on abilities that people have and you are trying to improve the abilities that people have to make them the most rounded athlete that they possibly can be. So if you look at a variety of different sports, you can pick virtually every single sport now and they are more rounded athletes than they ever have been. And that's why sport today, typically, especially within team sports, is more dynamic, it's faster than, than ever before. Within rugby, the hits are harder than they've, than, they've, than they've ever been before in terms of tackling. They're running longer distances. Um, the, for, for referees, for, for, for example, within the, within the world of soccer, they're, they're having to make upwards of 240 decisions um, per 90 minutes. And, and that's, it's, cra it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy how, how dynamic it, it's going. And that's just increasing every single season. Um, and it's, yeah, everything's starting to escalate. And there's always that next thing. What's the next thing? Where's the next marginal game? And uh, there's a lot of people out there looking for it. I love it, man. And, and I feel like the beauty of sports is that it allows us to ask these questions and think about it, you know, because I'm not sure if like in uh, construction you can think about those things so uh, i think that's the beauty <laughs> of sports um but you know since we're running out of time i want to ask you this one last question and that's more a personal question about you lee but what you live and how you live uh so the the question is what's a quote you live by and why typically uh something uh, it's the it's the last line of ulysses by tennyson uh to strive to seek to find and not to yield um and that's That's typically because I am always striving to be the best that I can be. And I want my athletes to do that too, to be the best, to strive to be the best that they can be. They don't have to be the, the best, um, but as long as they're striving to be the best that they can be, I'm happy. To seek the best ways in which to do that, whether that be through eyesight training, whether that be through strength and conditioning, et cetera, et cetera, um, to find it. Um, and then, not to yield because we know more than anything, any, any other period of human history right now that we are having to yield a little 
um, because of the situation that we're faced with. But but we won't because we'll we'll beat it. We'll move forward, um, and we're in no better position, no, no better position in human history to be able to deal with it. But but that quote it, it really resonates with me in in this in the scenarios that I that I'm around. So try and make sure that that I, that is something I that I stick to. Awesome, Lee. Awesome, man. You're an absolute legend. I want to thank you so much for your time, uh, your insight. This was a complete lesson on sports psychology, decision making, ability, skill, talent, everything was in this conversation. I'm sure you guys learned a lot like I did from Lee. If you want to reach out to Lee, the links are going to be on the description. And yeah, Lee, thank you so much for uh, coming to the Halftime Snacks, man. I appreciate it. Before you leave, I want to thank you for listening. To hear this or any other Halftime Snack, check out the full archive on my website, which you can find on the show notes. See you next week.